0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Jody wilson Raybold and the SNC-Lavalin case. My, how this story is taking off. We'll try to give you all kinds of angles. And it's not only happening here, it's been happening in the U.S. for a while. Uh, Michael Cohen. Donald Trump's personal lawyer testifies. We've got action on both sides of the border. Coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Jody Wilson-Raybould, former Attorney General. uh, Man, this was riveting yesterday to watch this stuff. Alleged in testimony that she faced high-level threats and interference in the case of the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin, now members of the opposition parties, uh, are calling for the Prime Minister's resignation. Uh, Boy, oh boy, how things have uh, changed. Uh, The the Prime Minister's response is he uh, categorically disagrees with everything that she's saying. So it becomes an issue of he said, she said. Here's what she had to say, Jody Wilson-Raybould, during testimony.
1: For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. These events involved 11 people, excluding myself and my political staff from the Prime Minister's Office, the Privy Council Office, and the Office of the Minister of Finance. This included in-person conversations, telephone calls, emails, and text messages. There were approximately 10 phone calls and 10 meetings specifically about SNC, and I and or my staff were a part of these meetings. Within these conversations, there were expressed statements regarding the necessity of interference in the SNC-Lavalin matter, the potential of consequences, and veiled threats if a DPA was not made available to SNC.
0: All right, let's bring in Michael Barrett, MP, Leeds, Grenville, Thousand Islands, Rideau Lakes, and is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on today.
0: Uh, what happens now? Where do we go from here? Will uh, Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Where do we go from here?
2: Well, I, I mean, the, the clip that you just played for Ms. Wilson-Raybould is, uh, is shocking, and, and the details are as shocking as they are corrupt. You know, we had uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould detail multiple veiled threats to her job if she didn't bow to their demands, you know, urgings to consider the consequences on election results and shareholder values uh, above the judicial process, and reminders from Justin Trudeau himself to his Attorney General about his own electoral prospects should SNC-Lavalin's trial proceed. Uh, this is um, uh, unbelievable, and the testimony makes it clear that the Prime Minister doesn't know where the Liberal Party ends and the government of Canada begins, and, and he has certainly lost the moral authority to govern, and, and um, for Canadians to be able to hold confidence uh, in in government, uh, the Prime Minister has to resign.
0: Uh. Um, I... He categorically, categorically denies what she said and keeps defending jobs. Your thoughts on that? It's all about the jobs.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that the Prime Minister of Canada should know that you don't have to bend the law to save jobs in this country. And, and uh, on Quebec, um, you know, Quebecers don't want to be used as the Prime Minister's excuse for corruption.
0: Uh, you talked about in your party, and Andrew Shear has spoken out about resigning. Is that premature, considering we've only heard from her? Should we not dig deeper into that before we we make those sorts of requests?
2: You know, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, at the outset, um, at the outset, uh, Liberal members of the committee called this a witch hunt, and. Uh, then, uh, and the Prime Minister said, you know, um, the former Attorney General's presence in Cabinet speaks for itself, and, and she resigned. And then he said that the only reason she was shuffled was because Scott Bryson resigned. And then he said, well, in fact, this is Stephen Harper's fault. And uh, a categorical denial from this government on any of the allegations that Miss Wilson-Raybould has, uh, has, um, has made, uh, would be refreshing, but we're not getting that, and that um, I think speaks louder than what they're actually saying.
0: When uh, will you actually get another chance to question the prime minister on this? Well, you know,
2: um, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. He, we had called for this meeting to occur at, uh, at noon yesterday in advance of question period, um, having uh, no knowledge of what Miss Wilson-Raybould would say, and none of the opposition parties knew what she was going to say until all of Canadians knew. We, we heard at the very same time, um, but the Liberal uh, majority on that committee pushed for it to occur following question period. Uh, yesterday, and now the Prime Minister uh, is not planning to appear in question period today. He's not planning to participate in the emergency debate in the House of Commons tonight on this issue. He's not planning to appear in the House of Commons tomorrow. And so we're, we're then into two weeks of a constituency break, and we won't hear from the Prime Minister uh, in this House by his schedule until the third week of March. And frankly, that's unacceptable.
0: What about the Prime Minister's response to what Jody Wilson-Raybould said yesterday? It's certainly turning out to be a he-said-she-said.
2: Said. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, and when asked yesterday, uh, I think this is very telling, on if Ms. Wilson-Raybould would be able to remain a member of the Liberal caucus uh, the Prime Minister said, well, I haven't read uh, or listened to her whole testimony, um, so we'll, we'll have to do that before we make a decision.
0: I, ha- However, I have a hard time I, believing that he wasn't sitting on the edge of his seat the way everyone else was watching this, no?
2: Well, well that's right. So he categorically uh, denies everything that she said, but says that he hasn't heard her testimony. So he's, he's willing to dismiss outright what she said, but he's also saying that he hasn't heard what she said yet. So that doesn't, those aren't the words of, uh, of a man with nothing to hide.
0: So what does happen now? Where do we go from from here on this?
2: Well we'll we'll uh use all of the tools in the toolbox that we have uh in as the opposition party um in, in the House of Commons. Uh but the um you know the RCMP have more than enough grounds to investigate this matter and we're we're calling on the RCMP to immediately open an investigation into the numerous examples of potential criminal activity that the now former attorney general has detailed and so i think that uh, have the, with with having been asked to open a public inquiry uh, which is uh, you know a very transparent process and would allow canadians to regain confidence in their institutions um the Liberals, this Prime Minister, uh, shut that down. Uh, we've asked for the Prime Minister to appear at uh, the Justice Committee. Uh, the Liberals have shut that down. And so um, with that said, uh, really, uh, the RCMP is going to investigate. You know, the, the, the Prime Minister has continued to refer to the um, Ethics Commissioner investigation, but the Conflict of Interest Act states explicitly that criminal matters are outside what that Commissioner can investigate. So really, this is now a matter for the, uh, for the
0: police. So will the RCMP investigate? When will we know if they are?
2: Uh, I, I expect that uh, a letter will be forwarded to them um, based on uh, my leader Andrew Shear's comments last last night, and then we can expect a response uh, in, in due course from the RCMP.
0: Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, said in her testimony yesterday when asked that uh, nothing illegal was done uh, because she held her ground. She didn't She didn't cave to them. Uh, what do you think the RCMP is going to find in this?
2: Well, I mean, uh, I, I won't presuppose the outcome of, of their work. But, uh, I, I, you know, based on the allegations that were made, uh, there's certainly a conspiracy to commit um, uh Concerns, but uh, sections uh, 139 and 423 of the Criminal Code are what I have been referred to as sections that the RCMP could refer to, and and I will leave it to uh, to lawyers and to um, to the police to um, to uncover all of uh, all of the the details um, that would uh, that would either uh, lead to uh, a criminal prosecution um, or. Um, or another outcome.
0: Are you surprised that Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony was so telling, so cutting? I mean, many thought prior to this, as we were all trying to to figure out or anticipate what was going to be said, that it would be a watered-down version, uh, that some deal had been made. Uh, Are are you surprised that um, the, the, the Liberals and Justin Trudeau let her testify, considering the damaging information she had?
2: Uh, you know, we put incredible amounts of pressure on the government to allow her to, to testify and, and, um, and so uh, to answer your question, I was uh, blown away uh, sitting uh, at the justice committee yesterday when Miss Wilson-Raybould, uh, even her, her, the first 30 seconds of her remarks were, uh, were damning for this, for this liberal government and this liberal prime minister. Yeah. And we had no insight into, into what her testimony uh, would reveal, um, but You know there was uh, there were a lot of signs that uh, the government was very concerned about what she was going to say, and uh, I think that it's also very concerning that uh, Miss Wilson Raybould identified that she has more to tell about her time as Veterans Affairs Minister and the time uh, and the details leading to her resignation, and the government has refused to uh, to waive privilege and cabinet confidence as it relates to those times, and so. If this is the information that came out of the order in council that they were willing to grant, I can't imagine uh, what further details could come out, and how explosive uh, further testimony from Miss Wilson Raybould would be. This this situation is absolutely devastating for this government. But moreover, it's just it's it's ter- it's terrible, and it's it's a very sad time uh, for for Canadians because uh, it's it's hard on an even on a nonpartisan level to have confidence in government when these are the allegations coming from the former top prosecutor, our attorney general.
0: Um, Will we hear from those, I believe it was 11, she said, that had uh, pressured her? Will we hear from them at all? I mean, it seems we're hearing one side of the story, and it becomes a he said, she said, but is anybody else uh, stepping up to speak here?
2: The Justice Committee has invited many people to speak, and the liberal uh, majority on that committee is... Uh, keeping the screws really tight on who we're allowed to hear from. We've asked to hear from the Prime Minister's uh, former Principal Secretary, Gerald Butts. We've asked to hear from his Chief of Staff, Katie Telford. We've asked to hear from Matthew Bouchard. We've, uh, we've asked to hear from the Prime Minister. We, this doesn't need to be a she said, he said. There are uh, more than a dozen witnesses that the committee has asked to hear from. Um, and the, the witnesses that have appeared, the, the government members of the committee, the Liberals on the committee, have refused to allow us to have them sworn in under oath. And so that also uh, gives us great concern. And uh, they need to uh, get out of the way. And so they're able to operate under this. Well, uh, I say it's not true. She says, it, she says yeah. it is true. So we'll see what happens. But the chief clerk of the Privy Council is able to uh, say, has been able to say whatever he wanted about Miss Wilson-Raybould's time in cabinet. And the prime minister has been able to say whatever he wanted about it. And for a time, the now attorney general, uh, David Lametti was saying whatever he wanted, and their scripts have gotten much tighter. But they issued a very tight box for Miss Wilson Raybould to speak inside, and so it's not um, he said, she said. It's uh, he's saying what she was. He's saying what happened about her, and we've been given very tight parameters. And even inside those parameters, the testimony that we got from Miss Wilson Raybould um, was. Was something that's never been seen before in this country.
0: It's odd that he strongly disagrees with her, but won't let these people speak to back uh, to back any of that up. I mean, you know, you disagree with her. Where's the proof? Where's whatever? I mean, she's 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 testified here. Uh, how can he say this without letting those other people, uh, I guess, prove his point?
2: I think it's I think it's very transparent uh, and very easy to see uh, the uh, the lengths to which. Uh, the prime minister will go to to make sure that Canadians don't get the truth on this, and that's why it's important that uh, that the RCMP investigate. You know, we have um, we have the uh, we have an attorney general who said she was she believes she was fired for not interfering in a criminal prosecution uh, at the request of the prime minister and his staff. We have um, the chief of staff to the the or the principal secretary rather to the prime minister resigning. Days after the story breaks, um, but and saying that it has you know it has nothing to do with this this scandal. So we have an A. G. fired. We have a uh, a principal secretary, one of the most you know uh, the closest aides to the prime minister, um, you know uh, jumping ship. And you know these guys are saying nothing to see here. It's it's incumbent. On the Prime Minister and the Liberal members of that committee to allow these people to come forward and testify before the committee and to do so under oath. And I encourage uh, Canadians to, to to contact these members of Parliament um, at their constituency offices or in their in their Hill offices uh, through the appropriate channels and to let them know that they believe it is important that we hear from the players in this in this very very troubling scandal.
0: What about S- SNC-Lavalin in this? Uh, will the new Attorney General give them what they want and what the Prime Minister wanted?
2: Well, I mean, it, it's it's hard to say. Uh, you know, in Miss Wilson-Raybould's testimony yesterday, uh, she detailed a conversation with her former Chief of Staff uh, that um, that said that the first conversation that the new Attorney General will have is on SNC-Lavalin. And so um, I think that tells a tale. And... Um, and and I, I think it's just it's just so so interesting that the government rushed this into this um, this justice matter into uh, into a budget bill, and uh, and passed it through uh, through parliament, and in it, economic factors like jobs is not a reason for deferred prosecution agreement to be granted, and so. Um, Really, the relief is probably going to have to come from a different minister, and that would be in the form of changing the rules that That would mean that they don't have to give a 10-year ban on bidding on federal contracts if a company is convicted in federal court.
0: Michael Barrett has been with us, MP for Leeds, Grenville, Thousand Islands, Rideau Lakes. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day.
0: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Trump's former fixer, uh, Michael Cohen, his uh, old personal attorney, testified yesterday before Congress addressing to, um, well, he's calling him everything from a con man to a cheat, amongst other things. Uh, Well, here's a clip of what he had to say.
3: Never in a million years did I imagine when I accepted a job in 2007 to work for Donald Trump that he would one day run for the presidency to launch a campaign on a platform of hate and intolerance and actively win. I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man,
0: and he is a cheat. There you have it. Let's bring in Reggie Giacchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News based out of Washington. He's with us now. Reggie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. So due to uh, credibility issues, how much weight does all of this carry as far as damaging Trump?
3: Well, I mean, it's difficult to say if this is going to be enough to damage Trump. But what it is going to do is give enough firepower potentially to Democrats to continue their investigations into Donald Trump and to give the Republicans something to continue to battle about when it says that Democrats are doing nothing but trying to go after Donald Trump.
0: Uh, obviously, many in the White House will paint a picture of Michael Cohen in uh, in lack of credibility and such, and, and, and not a very pretty picture. Uh, that being said, when you do that, are you not begging the question, well, what the heck's Donald Trump doing using him or retaining him as his personal lawyer for 10 years? Doesn't that say something about his character?
3: Okay, well, looking at the first part of that, yes, they're going to paint the picture and characterize him as as nothing but a kind of a discredited liar, and they're right in doing that. Michael Cohen is going to jail because he lied openly and under oath to Congress when he was speaking before them last year. So when they say he's a liar, yes, he is a liar. Uh, but what was the president doing with him? Well, that's questions that the president has been kind of facing now ever since uh, the stories about Michael Cohen came forward. The, Michael Cohen and the president go back to 2007, and many are questioning now to say, well, Mr. Mr president, if you had uh, all these negative things to say about Cohen ever since he's decided to turn on you, why were you with him uh, for so many years? And why does he know kind of the inner working so intimately when it comes to the Trump organization and the Trump family in general? Those are questions that that continue to be asked. Uh, The president's still on a plane right now coming home from uh, from Hanoi. Uh, You can guarantee that once he exits the plane, uh, coming back to kind of this fire that's uh, underway in Washington right now, he's going to have nothing but continued negative things to say about Michael Cohen.
0: Uh, has he made any comments as to why he would have retained him? Has he has he come close to even answering that question?
3: no he's always said prior to all of these things that uh, that happened when it came to Michael Cohen flipping after that raid that happened onto his office uh, that Michael Cohen was very good to him and that he was very loyal you have to remember Michael Cohen is also the person who said that he would take a bullet for the president so the president we know likes when people have good things to say about him and they like uh, he likes rather when people line up and and kind of back what he has to say that's how he was as a citizen that's how he was as a candidate and that's how he is as a president now uh, but ever since Michael Cohen is flipped that's when the the president has kind of taken a sour note and said, well, he's nothing but a liar. We shouldn't have anything to do with him. Uh, it, like it, like I said earlier, it'll be interesting to see what the president has to say, because he did say something nice about Michael Cohen uh, earlier in the day in Vietnam by saying, well, I'm surprised he, he told the truth when he was talking about how there's no collusion.
0: Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what about insight into the presidency on this? When Cohen speaks and says uh, he didn't think he was going to win, this was all sort of a lark to him.
3: Well, I mean, we knew that kind of right up to the moment uh, when Donald Trump won. We knew that he didn't actually think that he had a chance. We knew that he thought that Hillary Clinton was going to take this uh, through the beginning and middle parts of this campaign. It wasn't uh, until kind of the very end of it when we knew about this potential silent majority that the president was going to take it. So this was never kind of a big surprise and a big secret to people that the president thought he wasn't going to win. That's why he continued to have these, you know, what we're now hearing about conversations about a Trump Tower in Moscow, assuming he didn't win, he'd have this multi-hundred million dollar project waiting for him uh, with a new tower.
0: Uh, That being said uh, the fact that he didn't think he was going to win or he was doing this just for the the publicity of it all, is that going to jive in his connections with, with his businesses leading right up until the election? Well, I mean,
3: it's possible the president's uh, business life has been under fire since before he was a candidate. Uh, The president's uh, what now is a business life that's in the hand of his children continues to be under fire now that he's sitting in the Oval Office. So we'll see how this kind of moves forward now as we see that there could be potential people that are implicated now inside the Trump organization up to and including the president's children. Uh, If they end up
0: getting subpoenaed to come and testify, we'll see how that leaves the president's business. Anything new here? Anything that we didn't already know? What do you think was the most damaging out of all of this? Well, there
3: were a couple of damaging moments yesterday. Uh, number one was when uh, Michael Cohen came prepared with evidence that uh, were uh, checks that were given to him by the president that he says are uh, pay- repayments from when Michael Cohen had paid off that $130,000 to Stormy Daniels uh, to keep her quiet from going public with an alleged affair right before the election. Uh, when he came with a check that was signed by Donald Trump with that big signature on it, dated 2017, uh, that is a, a potential uh, kind of big motive for uh, investigators in uh, in New York to look into pina- uh, uh, further uh, financial crimes by the president, because that would be something that is illegal uh, to be taking place with the president sitting in the Oval Office. The other big thing to watch, though, was the fact that when he was asked about conversations that he might have with the president, he couldn't answer them, saying that there was an active investigation investigation underway in the southern district of new york that involved the president we don't know what the details of that are but that was news that came out
0: uh well we th- this is more about donald trump's personal dealings in, in his personal business with with michael cohen what about tax returns because that's you know that was a big deal during the campaign he was the only president not to uh release them uh, can he shed any light on that it's possible for him too. He was asked that by uh, Alexandra Ocasio
3: Cortez uh, yesterday, one of the you know the, the rookies that are on that uh, oversight committee. She asked him very uh, pointed questions about his tax returns and about uh, who would know the information about his tax returns. And Michael Cohen said, "Well, here are the people that are inside the Trump campaign and inside the Trump organization, uh, rather the Trump organization that would have the information on those tax returns." And he said names up to and including uh, 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 Weiselberg. So when She was given those names by Michael Cohen that further allows for Democrats to now subpoena additional people uh, that could potentially put Donald Trump's tax returns into the light.
0: Uh, Is this less about collusion and more about what his personal dealings were with Russia and and tax returns and, and that sort of thing?
3: I, I mean, it's very possible. I mean, Michael Cohen had already said that he didn't believe that there was any collusion. Uh, he, he wasn't aware of any collusion. He kind of laid out what could potentially be, uh, you know, something that needs to be investigated or looked at. But his, his first comment was that there's nothing to do with collusion when it comes to the president and Russia. Uh, when it comes to his personal dealings, though, uh, this is where that kind of Trump Tower Moscow project comes into play, because uh, the president and Michael Cohen, especially Michael Cohen, who's going to, to jail for lying about this, said that the conversations about the, pro- the project kind of wrapped up earlier in uh, in the election campaign than they had knowing now full well that these conversations happened right up into the point of where the president was almost being uh, put into the Oval Office these are kind of big deals where yes they are personal matters but they carried through the campaign and carried into the presidency and that's why they're such a hot topic
0: so, what? I- obviously, the president's been uh, been in Vietnam at, at the second summit. How closely is he watching this? Uh, is the timing of this uh, uh, suspicious at all? The fact that he's well, the- out when this is all going on the president
3: has had made it very clear uh, when he held his press conference before he left vietnam uh, earlier today that uh, he felt that this was kind of a coordinated effort to take the focus off of his north korea summit saying that you know michael cohen could have gone to the hill to testify at any day and they chose to do it now we also have to remember though that that the president announced this north korea summit just a couple of weeks ago during the state of the union so there wasn't a lot of time to have both of them kind of organize their schedules properly
0: so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that second summit. Uh, what happened here? We we hear he's he, you know he 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 stopped early. Is the art of the deal? What happened here? Well, so
3: we know that the President was trying to kind of scale things down and tamp down expectations going into this summit, saying that he didn't want to move very fast. He he was willing to kind of let North Korea lead the pace here and take a little bit of time to uh, to be able to get the things done that the that the US is wanting to get done. Uh there was some worry throughout the intelligence communities in Washington and throughout the some Republicans and including most Democrats that the President was basically gonna go and offer too much of an olive branch and say, Well, here's all the things that America's willing to give to you, North Korea, if you just just will denuclearize lu- uh, de- the, the, the Korean peninsula. Uh, what we ended up getting was talks breaking early. Uh, we got no kind of formal sit-down dinner between the two leaders outside of just a jovial get-together that they had the night before. The U.S. eventually walked away with nothing from this, Scott. I mean, uh, we have no definitive term to what denuclearization means. There was no end of the Korean War. There was no signing of any document. Uh, you know, his press conference said he wanted things to go slowly, but critics now say that, you know, the summit was rushed, and that's why... America basically walked away giving North Korea everything
0: um, as you mentioned, many were worried he may give up the farm. Is that why he decided to walk away from this? Is that why he stepped back because his his rhetoric was was certainly a little different from the advice it seems he was getting.
3: It it was. There were people saying that you can't simply go into this, you know, being friends. You've got to draw a line in the sand. And North Korea was kind of taking advantage of this. And and it appears that they kind of played America to be fools in this situation. North Korea said that we want all of our sanctions lifted uh, if you want us to start kind of taking down uh our, one of our big nuclear sites and the president said well no we're not going to take all of your uh sanctions away from you they're there for a reason right now we don't have any reason to really trust you but at the end of the day uh those conversations did break down and like i said while the us has nothing to really show for this although maybe no deal is better than a bad deal north korea still uh ended up getting a pass on human rights they have no more war games with uh happening with south korea there's distancing between the us and its regional allies there are uh a number of face to faces that the country got and and Missiles are staying in North Korea. So people are saying that while the U.S. walked away with nothing, North Korea really did get to keep everything.
0: Uh, At the end, as long as there is, in the end, as long as there aren't missiles flying over the peninsula, is that not a success?
3: It it is a success in one way, is that, you know, they're not putting these missiles in the air and kind of, you know, provoking the U.S. and provoking Japan and provoking South Korea. But what it doesn't mean is that America is, or what it continues to mean rather, is that America doesn't get to go in and verify that North Korea had originally said that they were going to start tamping down their nuclear programs. There has been reports that uh, they continue to uh, enrich uranium and that they continue to kind of keep these centrifuges spinning and and, uh, build up their stockpiles, but nobody's actually able to get in there and and verify this for themselves. So that's kind of one of the big problems that this summit had uh, in place. It was last time around, uh, the President and, and Kim Jong-un signed this document saying that Americans would be able to get in and
0: verify this information. We didn't get anything past what they signed last year. So how do we compare the first summit to the second summit? As you mentioned, lots of pomp and circumstance at the first, and you know we've come away with a victory. Uh, how are we going to view the second?
3: Well, I mean, look, the president went into this second summit basically saying, we've become best friends, we've fallen in love with each other. I get these notes that have been sent to me that make it seem like we're very good friends right now. And many are thinking that the president simply went into this summit saying, well, maybe I can use my charm to get what I want out of the North Koreans. The thing is, is that North Korea knows how to play the world. This is a dictatorship. This is an autocrat who knows how to control the people that are inside his country. There's nothing to say that he doesn't know how to control those that are on the outside. And that's where some of the fear is that the president basically went there got played by North Korea. So what did we see out of this second summit? We saw that North Korea
0: knows how to play the deal game. So where do we go from here? Where does the president go from here? Uh, Third summit? Well, there's been no talk of a third
3: summit yet. You know, most presidents in the past have always done things backwards than what the president is doing right now. You send your policy people in there, you send negotiators into a country, they put the puzzle together that the president comes in to sign it to make some kind of deal final. The president did the opposite of that and we didn't get anywhere. So maybe what we'll see is that the White House and the Pentagon and, and communities across Washington will start to roll the other way and put the policy and the negotiators in place, try to see where they can get. And instead of asking for something like denuclearization right up front, see what the beginning steps are that can be taken, that can be then shown as a win before the big deal happens at the very end. Uh, You
0: said the magic word, a win. How is Donald Trump selling this as a win?
3: Well, he's selling it as a win by saying, "Look, I'm the one who walked away because the deal wasn't something that I wanted. The deal wasn't something that would have worked well for America. So, I walked away from the table to let them see what, you know, they're missing out on right now." Republicans will spin this as a win right now. Democrats will say, "Well, this summit should have been planned out much better in advance. There should have been far more policies put in place. There should have been, uh, you know, a little bit more work put into this." And he'll also end up getting slammed by the Democrats because he stayed up the night before to watch the Michael Cohen testimony as opposed to potentially putting his pen to the paper and trying to draft up some kind of negotiation.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: One more question, heading back to uh, the Cohen situation, Mueller interested in any of this in, in what Michael Cohen has to say.
3: Well, I mean, Michael Cohen is still a cooperating witness when it comes to the Robert Mueller investigation. So anything that was said yesterday, nothing was really new. Nothing was kind of big and salacious that would pique the eyebrows of the special counsel. Uh, Michael Cohen, though, is talking to the Intelligence Committee today behind closed doors where further information can be uh, given out because it won't end up making its way into the light of day. Uh, So there is still a possibility for Michael Cohen to further and continue his cooperation with Robert Mueller as he continues to further his cooperation with the so- uh, Southern District of New York. All of this helping him because he's going to eventually try to see if there's a way to get his sentence lessened from anything more than three years.
0: Is there a chance that he could, in fact, get his sentence lessened? Uh, lessened? What's, what's next for him here?
3: Well there are there are rules in US law that allow uh prosecutors to take to a sentencing judge uh you know, um signs of cooperation that would show that, you know, if there's a three year sentence right now, maybe we can get lessened by a day or a month or a year or altogether. So that's something that Michael Cohen that's why yesterday when he was there he had nothing to lose by lying further. He put all his cards on the table and got everything off of his chest because he knows that there is a possibility for it. What's next for Michael Cohen? That's that's anybody's question right now and everyone's question. He's set to go to jail in May, so he's got from now for the next kind of couple of months 60 days or so to be able to continue to further these investigations and answer as many questions as he can
0: uh if you're an american how are you viewing this is again does it depend on what team you're on
3: Absolutely. I mean, look, Americans are saying today. We heard from voters, you know, in the Midwest, who are, you know, in the heart of Iowa, the heart of Trump country today, saying that they watched the Michael Cohen uh, uh, interview yesterday, and it hasn't changed their mind about the president at all. They would still continue to vote for President Trump if there was an election tomorrow or during the next election. Nothing is going to sway this 35 to 40 percent of people who put Donald Trump where he is right now. They've stayed with him through the most salacious uh, incidents that he has been accused of. Nothing, uh, up to and including Michael Cohen's potential lies or truths are going to sway that. So how do the Democrats handle all this? What,
0: how are they going to use this to their advantage?
3: Well, I mean, the things that Michael Cohen said to them yesterday up to and including these checks that had to do with Stormy Daniels or potentially the way that he was talking about, uh, you know, Russia, uh, conversations with WikiLeaks and Roger Stone or even up to and including his tax returns. This is all just potential stepping stones for Democrats to be able to take on these committees and start potential impeachment proceedings down the line. There's, uh, people are kind of starting to push the little, the, uh, the snowflakes down the hill and see what they turn into. And if it turns into a big enough snowball, these could be damaging, uh, statements made by Michael Cohen for the president in the weeks and
0: months down the road. Reggie Giacchini's been with us, Washington producer, correspondent with Global News based out of Washington. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight, 530 and 6 for the latest on this. Reggie, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, sir. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A couple of interesting questions coming out of yesterday's testimony uh, by Jody Wilson-Raybould in regard to uh, uh, the SNC-Lavalin affair and such. Uh, One part I was, everybody was thinking from the opposite, or not from the opposition, from the liberal side was saying, well, why didn't you just resign? Why didn't you just resign? If it was that bad, why didn't you just resign? How many times have you had a bad boss? And you thought, I'm going to quit. Then you say, screw it. Why should I quit? I like my job. So, like, why... Okay, so these people are all breaking the law. Don't report it. Just quit. These people, I should say, allegedly breaking the law, asking to do something that shouldn't be done. Let's just quit. No. Why not just try to do the right thing? The other thing I'm having a problem with is the Prime Minister says, I'm definitely not in agreement with, with Jody Wilson-Raybould. okay. She's out of the chair. You get in it and tell us your side of the story. You just can't sit there and and do as a he said, she said. Well, no, and I'm saying it, you know, and then get all your troops behind you and saying, well, this is the way we do business all the time. I don't know what her problem is. Let's go. You, you sit in the same chair that she spent three hours in yesterday. Is it three and a half, something like that? Like, I don't know how you can contradict what she's saying and then not offer... An explanation. And again, if what she said was all a pile of bunk, why did you fire her from the attorney general position? Why did you demote her to Veterans Affairs? If none of this is happening, why isn't she still in the post? Other than, of course, we know you had a cabinet shuffle and Scott Bryson resigned. But, you know, none of us have failed, uh, have been able to connect the dots on that one. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think this is going to fly. I don't think this is going to fly with his image of being a feminist where he's just basically just shut her down. Sorry, honey, you're wrong. And I don't think it's going to work with the indigenous community. And it's fascinating what this prime minister's office looks like when the clouds go over sunny ways. How has the office handled the whole scenario? Well, let's bring in uh, Alyssa Freeman, of course, a uh, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott. You must be writing like a book on this one.
4: <laughs> if only we all knew where to start.
0: <laughs> but I mean, like from a crisis management scenario, uh, who, who is the public believing here? Jody Wilson-Raybould or the prime minister?
4: Well, right now, I think it's Jody Wilson-Raybould. But, you know, prior to her testimony, I think that Canadians were having a very hard time unpacking this whole story because there's a lot of moving pieces. There's there's her story, there's the SNC-Lavalin, that was what was going on side in the government. And sometimes when there's that many moving pieces, the public is only going to pay attention to what they understand. And yesterday, uh, Wilson-Raybould's testimony sort of, encapsulized that, although it is completely her side of the story, but it sort of um helpfully encapsulated that so people could understand. And the way she did that was that was by creating a timeline. Because this story in this issue is very, very, complicated. And there are so many layers to it that we don't even know of right now. And even you were alluding to that in your lead up to our conversation. She created a timeline and as a communications device, a timeline is very easy for people to understand. On this date, this happened and then that happened and then that happened. So when you give something in a chronological order, it's like connecting the dots and people can follow along and therefore create a deeper understanding of the issue.
0: So what about the prime minister's reaction to her testimony?
4: Oh, that, you know, some of it was patently false and that uh, they did nothing wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You know, I think it was sort of a a stopgap. What else was he going to say, honestly, when you're being attacked like that? and, And you know what else I wonder? I wonder if he was privy to her remarks. I wonder if they had a. Copy you know, we talked about
0: remarks. we talked about this yesterday, and and I remember saying on the air or the other day, the day before. Surely she's not going to come out, and like I thought she'd give a watered down version of all of this. Surely she's oh, not going to so come out, I. and surely she's not going to come out and scar the Liberal Party heading into an election, and that's exactly what she did. What she did, and it's the old lawyer thing: you don't put someone on the stand who you don't know what they're going to say. That's what appears to have happened here.
4: You know, when somebody asked me about this earlier, Scott, on Tuesday, they said, how is this 30 minutes going to go? And I said, well, in a typical fashion, it would be five to 10 minutes of this is who I am and this is what I'm about and this is where I come from. That's who I am. And then there would be some sort of a a small recap of what this issue was. And then uh, that would be about 10 minutes. And then I felt that the five minutes were going to be and this is why I resigned. And then it would be, but everything has been tidily and and tucked away and nowhere else to look look here, and then we're out. Instead, you know, I stood in front of my TV, as many Canadians did yesterday, and she says, this is what happened. I was constantly harassed and accused, blah, 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 blah. I mean, she got right into the meat of it in the first 30 seconds. And that's why when every reporter came on and did their, you know, a distillation of the facts after, everybody in every interview that I've heard thus far, everybody has said, I was really shocked. I was really surprised because nobody expected her to lay down the hammer so clearly as she did. She pulled no punches. But there are many people today asking on talk radio, what is her endgame?
0: Yeah, what does she want out of this? And, and and what happens to her? What happens next to her?
4: Well, you know, it's very interesting. If you watch those proceedings, first there was the 30 minutes of her speaking.
0: Prime Minister. And then, and, Prime Minister uh, Prime Minister Wilson-Raybould. Is well, that where we're going?
4: Don't don't kid yourself, uh, Scott. I mean, she checks all the boxes. She's, yep. a, She's a woman. She's smart. Um, I don't know about her foreign policy experience. And as we have seen in the past, you know, three and a half years, that one needs that. Uh, when you go abroad. However, you know, she looked very prime ministerial. She had very little emotion. She was very factual, and she was very thoughtful. But make no mistake, everybody who was given an opportunity to ask questions was also ready to go. Like, if you look at Lisa yeah, Waite, yep. you know, she's, listen, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Lisa Waite should probably be the one heading that Conservative Party, but yeah. they have Andrew Shearer, and that's, a whole, that's another story. Yeah. But she was ready to go. She was prepared. She had notes. She clearly had her hair done. I mean, she looked great. <laughs> and, and now, I, Alyssa, is that well, nice? No, I know. I'm telling you, everybody was camera ready, God. Yep, and not yep, yep. I'm not being flippant about that. They knew that they were on show. Sure. And women especially, when they go on camera, have a whole other sort of layer of, of judgment put on them. So it's not how smart you sound, but it's also how good you look and how yep. ready you look. So everybody who went on there, there was a lot of women who were questioning uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, and I thought, in some way, it was a great show of the women who are in our Parliament, how smart they are, and the questions that they wanted to ask. So I thought it was that. And, you know, it was interesting because it was the men who I found a little bit more pandering when they were saying, you know, I believe you, and I can't imagine what you've been through. And honestly, her reaction was, Thank you, but yeah. honestly, yeah. move on. Yeah, she's too described. And I found that very very interesting and I had to tell you that when there was the, the back and forth between Lisa Raitt and Jody Wilson-Raybould I thought really you know at some point those two women could be leading their respective parties
0: you know you bring up a very valid point for Jody Wilson-Raybould what's in this for her I mean all she had to do was tow the party line she's got the best gig you know in the party next to the PM so what's in this for her she had everything to lose so why yeah. would you doubt her
4: you know well I don't think anybody doubts her number one but you have to wonder where she thinks the end game is going to go. And I, for one, I, you know, there's a lot of questions with that. You,
0: you know what her I'm answer gonna, would be? Justice.
4: Well, whatever okay. the hell that looks like, there's, there's, it's going to be there. justice. I understand there's justice, but then there's her future. So I will think she'll play? be fine. Well, you know, where <laughs> will that play? Will she stay in politics? I can't imagine her still being welcomed within the Liberal Party. No. And I don't know how that's going to play out. Could she cross the aisle? And, you know, you have to be careful with the opposition parties, you know, the NDP and, and, the, and the Conservatives licking their chops over this. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, they've done a lousy job in, you know, holding uh, Trudeau's feet to the fire until yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, today it's the Liberals and tomorrow it could be you for the same sort of transgression. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you have to be careful on how damning you are in your comments, although right now that, that seems to be the narrative to play.
0: Uh, So, uh, can uh, can Justin Trudeau get away with this response? It's my word against her. Hers, nothing to see here. I mean, does that play with Canadians? Uh, Can he get away with that without, you know, testifying or bringing these other 11 people up to do the same?
4: Well, here's the thing. I Some of the things that she said that are about the inner workings of the PMO, which I kind of gasped at. So when you heard her say that Katie Telford said, listen, even if you do this, I'll make sure I line up all these people, and they're going to write off eds saying that you did the proper thing.
0: Unbelievable.
4: And I'm just standing there going, yeah. yikes.
0: So is everybody saying, hey you know what this is the way government works Sorry you didn't get the memo before you took office here uh, and again, hey this is all about jobs and even in Quebec does does does, does that win over rule of law We did it for well, jobs you know
4: what you know what you know politics, politics is a very very difficult beast to put your arms around and if you do talk to some people some people are saying does she not get how big SNC lavalin is? Just you don't know, understand that there are 50,000, 50,000 jobs, Scott, is a lot of jobs, that will be lost. And that when you play in the Yeah, but everybody stage, thinks
0: if SNC dies that there won't be something to replace it. I mean, it's not well, like the good talent's well, going to be walking know. the streets for the rest of their lives.
4: Well, you know, the fact of the matter is is that you don't know that. I mean, they, some people say that they're too big to fail. Some people say that they'll take this to court and tie it up for 10 years.
0: I don't buy any of that BS. I really well, don't. I mean, it's the same as know. a General Motors thing. At the end of the day, money talks.
4: Well, and then, you know, the way people do, you know, the way countries do business is not always the way that we in Canada do business. No,
0: that's true. So
4: if you think that there are some countries where they just say, sure, we're going to give you the job and sit there patiently waiting for the envelope to be slid across the table... Well, of course that happens.
0: You know, if there hadn't been a whole pile of other cases similar to this in Quebec, and and I mean, let's be honest, every government has has things they're not proud of. This goes on all the time. That being said, you know, come on, this isn't the first time for SNC-Lavalin. I don't think people have a lot of sympathy anymore, or do they, outside of Quebec?
4: Well, you know what? I mean, the whole Quebec issue is a whole other issue, quite yeah. honestly, Scott. Yeah. Now, what it says is is that you know the government is very concerned about Quebec and less concerned about the rest of the rest of Canada yeah and and that is very true. I mean, when you play the numbers, what the liberals need to win the yep. next federal election, yep. They can get all the seats in Ontario if they want. And... But this
0: pro- but this prime minister has, has you know, stayed on the fence and, and tried to appeal to everybody, which many have said has been his downfall. You know, I love the West. I love the East. I love everybody. Now what we're seeing is the prime minister of Quebec, and that's what's going to resonate across the country. And you can see what's going to happen out West.
4: No, but he's not the first one. That's true. He's not the first one, Scott. His father was the same way, and there are many other liberals that were also the same way. And the liberals also know that they can carry the day if they take Quebec, which has a number of seats up for grabs now that they've fallen out of love with the NDP. And I don't see them all jumping onto the Jagmeet Singh bandwagon. So, you know, you can take those two provinces and you can win an election. And there's only one thing that any political party is concerned about, and it might be their love for Canada, but it's more about winning. And you need to do what you need to do in order to stay in power. And that's the name of the game.
0: At the end of the day, does the prime minister not have to answer the question of why he fired her? Because in the end, you uh, you know, I'm definitely not in agreement with any of this or anything that she has said. Well, then why did you fire her?
4: And I don't think he'll ever answer that. He'll never put himself on uh, on the stand. There's no way, and I so, don't, and I think and I think don't think he need, he has to either by law. But I'm not sure about that.
0: We know that uh, uh, the female gender is a, a huge target audience for this party and this prime minister, the self-proclaimed feminist. What does this do to all of that? Because this seems like he 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 took advantage of the wrong person here.
4: Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, he labeled himself as a feminist. He labeled himself as um, someone who supported indigenous peoples. He labeled himself as the purveyor of sunny ways. So
0: now forget about all that. Let's just go win Quebec.
4: Right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing was he, he also was big on transparency. Yeah. So yeah. tick, 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 goodbye.
0: <laughs> so how should the opposition, you know, you know, you're talking about the opposition didn't play this very well up until now. Uh, from the people that I've talked to, uh, the opposition, both sides just d- decided to hang back because this isn't their problem. This is totally self-inflicted. So if you start throwing too much mud, l- just let them hang themselves per se until the evidence is there. Now, of course it is. How do they how do they uh, how do they move forward on this? Andrew Shear said uh, immediately that uh, you know, he should resign. Uh, is that premature, considering we've only heard this side of the story? I guess we've heard their side of the story as well. It's just we've heard it through the press in the last week.
4: Well, I think that that's sort of a default narrative if you ask me. I mean, honestly, what else is he going to say? And like I said to you before, you need to be careful of what you sling mud at because that mud will come back to you if you're ever in power. Trust me. So, you know, at some point you don't want to hold back because your party and its members and the Canadians who affiliate themselves with the respective party are going to expect you to say something. Because so far, as you mentioned, they haven't really said much but when Judy, J- Jody wilson Rabel gets up on the stand and says what she says, you have to respond. You just can't sit back and go, well, yeah. oh, I'm going to see where this plays out. I mean, yeah. you have to respond. And there they had, for the first time that I've ever seen, Andrew Shear standing up somewhere. And obviously, you know, he was also made up and to look as prime ministerial as possible and in a very somber tone said he must resign. So, you know, you need to play this so that you also stay on the front pages and that your narrative stays out there, too. Because when you're in the opposition and a, certainly in a majority government, it's hard to, to stay out there with, with relevant messages. And this is one thing, one issue, certainly, that has, you know, absolutely been served on a silver platter. But, so, But there's one thing, else, Scott, you know, prior to her testimony, Canadians had one big shrug about all of this. Hmm. You know, there was nobody uh, marching in the streets. Their, you know, phone lines to talk radio was were not being lit up because people, saw, you know, more or less didn't understand it. And they thought, well, you know, this is just sort of inside politics and and uh, I, I really don't care at this point. What will be interesting is is that they'll let some time go and then the polling will start. And then they'll find out sort of where they stand vis-a-vis what Canadians think about this and about the Liberal Party. And they'll continue that polling because, you know, listen, people's memories are short. And the best thing that could have happened to the Liberals is that is that this all happened now in February, March timeframe, and okay. not in August and September when it's a run-up to the election. Because that would have been a death knell. That is not to say... That could
0: this kill drag out till then?
4: Well, I don't know. Uh,
0: So what happens next? Where does this go? I mean, how does this affect the Liberals' uh, campaign strategy moving in? Because you can't sell sunny ways anymore.
4: No. You can't sell transparency. (laughs) Maybe you can sell it's all about, you know, (laughs) clouds. I mean, I don't know. But I I can tell you that right now all the war rooms of all three parties are now starting to put together their narratives and and starting to think of what their uh, lead-up to the campaigns are going to be. I mean, honestly, the Conservatives have been quiet for a number of months about lots and lots of things that they could have nailed the, uh, nailed the Liberals to. And they have a huge war chest, a huge war chest. But maybe they're think, uh, thinking of just sort of condensing that and blowing it during you know, all during the campaign. But honestly, what the Conservatives usually do very well is coming up with a very, very basic narrative that Canadians can get from A to Z to very, very quickly. So it will be interesting. You know, last time they tried, just not ready.
0: Yeah, you know, I was thinking of that be, too.
4: You know what, maybe it should still be, still not ready. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how this will play out. I mean, I think the Liberals can only say deny, deny. Um, I think there's a lot of questions as to, you know, what will happen to Jody Raybald, uh Wilson Rebold at uh, the end of this. Um, there are still a number of gaps that we may never know the uh, pieces of information to, but certainly... Her testimony strung along enough facts that it will be reported that way, the timeline will be recreated that way, and it will be interesting to see how long the resonance of the story has in the minds of Canadians.
0: Does it depend what province you're in and how you view this?
4: Yes. It, yes, it does. It does. Um, you know, they always say the further away you get from Ottawa, the further they care about sort of uh, central interests. So. Um, certainly I don't know enough about how it's playing in Quebec right now, but I have to ma- imagine that it has a greater, um, uh, there's greater severity of it than perhaps in the rest of the country.
0: Alyssa Freeman's been with us, public relations consultant, uh, PR, Alyssa Freeman, PR, the principal there. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.